Hi there. Welcome to the Carter Report. And thank you so very much for joining us today. Right here in old Petra, deep in the heart of the Arabian Desert. Petra was the fabled city of the Edomites and the Nabataeans. It was lost for more than a thousand years. In this program today, we're going to show you some of the fabulous treasures of this magnificent city carved out of the living rock. And then I want you to come with me to Tyre, a city that was cursed by the ancient prophet and today is submerged beneath the waves of the Mediterranean Sea. But now, would you please join me downtown Los Angeles in the beautiful Shrine Auditorium for the Carter Report and amazing discoveries. Prophecy. It's used to peer into the future, but it must be learned from the past. The Carter Report presents Focus on Prophecy. From the Shrine Auditorium in downtown Los Angeles, John Carter unravels the mysteries of Bible prophets and brings modern meaning to this ancient book. And now, John Carter. I want to tell the people now about the strangest story of the strangest city. There was a city on the Mediterranean. Just hold those pictures, please. You're doing a great job, but just hold them. I told them to put them through fast, but now I'm telling them to slow down. There was the city of Tyre. It was a Phoenician city, a tremendously wealthy city, a great trading city. It was really the New York of the ancient world. And uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, a prophecy was made, the strangest prophecy I know in the Bible was made about the city of Tyre. And because it is so important, I'm going to turn to the prophecy and I'm going to read the prophecy to you. And it's going to take me about 30 seconds to read it to you. But I'm going to read it to you in depth because it's very, very important that you see this. If you didn't see this, you wouldn't believe it. It's the prophet Ezekiel chapter 26 and verse 4 and 5. The prophet said, now men just hold those pictures. They shall break, they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken, says the Lord God, it shall become plunder for the nations. And then verse 12, they will plunder your riches and pillage your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. They will lay your stones, your timber, and your soil in the midst of the waters. Now that's a funny one. They're going to put your stones in the midst of the waters. And then verse 13, I will put an end to the sound of your songs and the sound of your harps shall be heard no more. I will make you like the top of a rock. That's easy. You shall be a place for spreading nets, and you shall never be rebuilt. For I, the Lord, have spoken, says the Lord God. Now, the prophet said this. Now, this is almost too hard to ask you to believe. Here was the city of Tyre on the coast. There it was on the coast, a great prosperous city. God said, the city is going to be destroyed. All right, this happened to plenty of cities. What's the big deal? God said, the city is going to have the walls broken down. Well, that's happened before too. Then God said, the city is going to be taken and thrown into the sea. 
And then the Bible said, fishermen are going to come along and spread their nets upon the city in the midst of the sea. Well, if anything's hard to swallow, I guess that's about as hard a truth or a story to swallow as anything you've ever been told. Thirteen years after that prophecy was written, Nebuchadnezzar the Great came to the city of Tyre. He surrounded Tyre, and after a siege that lasted for a long time, he broke down the walls of Tyre. And you know what happened? Well, the people in Tyre fled to a little island off the coast. It's about a half a mile off the coast. And between uh, the coast and the island, there was half a mile of raging surf. And so old Tyre was destroyed, as the prophet said. But folks, who would be so crazy as to throw a city into the sea? Could you believe anybody would be so crazy as to throw a city into the sea? Well, let me tell you what happened. Two and a half centuries later, the coming of Alexander the Great and his soldiers sent a thrill of terror through the inhabitants of the Middle East. Alexander marched to overthrow the city of Tyre and he found that the people were living in a fortress city half a mile out in the sea. Alexander was not going to be easily beaten. You know what Alexander did? He said to his soldiers, I want you to take everything you've got. I want you to get everything you can. And I want you to start to move the old city. And they got the buildings of the old city. They got the pillars of the old city. They even got down to the dust of the old city. And they tipped the old city out into the sea. And Alexander built a causeway of the old city out to the new city. And he marched his soldiers out on the causeway. And today when you go there, and there is the causeway, you can see running out to the new city. And uh, he, you, can, you can walk along there and the sand has silted up the causeway and it's become a part of the mainland. But the thing that, was, that absolutely stunned me when I went to this dangerous part of the world, and on this side over here you can see the site of the old city, there is nothing there, friend, nothing there, nothing, nothing, nothing there. It's, it's absolutely gone. But uh, on the left-hand side you can see the causeway going out to the new city. And when I went there, I, I, I thought to myself, you know, this is, people back home will never believe this. And as I was standing there on the causeway composed of old tire under, under the sea, do you know what happened? Would you believe it? Do you really know what happened when I was standing there? Some fishermen came along and they spread their nets upon the causeway. They spread their nets upon the causeway. They were spreading their nets upon old Tyre in the midst of the sea. And I stood there and I was amazed and I said, there is no doubt about it. The Bible was right about Sennacherib. It was right about Nineveh. It was right about Nimrod. It was even right about the fishermen spreading their nets upon old Tyre in the midst of the sea. Amazing story. I was traveling not so very long ago between Moscow and Leningrad, flying in a, in a Russian jet, and there was an American scientist sitting beside me, and uh, we started talking together, and he said, what do you do? I said, I, I lecture on archaeology and subjects similar to biblical archaeology and, and the prophecies of the Bible, and he said to me, oh, he said, I didn't think anybody was left in the world who believed all that garbage. 
I said to him, tell me, friend, have you read much about it? Well, he said, uh, well, yes. He, I said, have you ever read it through? He said, no, no, I haven't read it through. I said, you know much about it? Well, when I talked to him, the good man knew nothing about it. And so I started to tell him about some of these things. I started to tell him about the great prophecy that we're going to talk about tomorrow night that talks about the next world empire. The great dream that told of, of two and a half thousand years of world history, which was fulfilled to the very letter. I'm going to have it here tomorrow night. And I told him about this one. And he was strangely silent. He said, perhaps there is more to it than I've given credence. It's true, friend. It reminds me of, of, the, of the cynic who came up to a, a person who was lecturing, like myself, lecturing on these subjects, and he said, I want to ask you three questions that, is, that will silence you forever, he said. Answer me these three questions, and the, uh, the stupidity of your arguments will be plainly revealed to everybody. He said, tell me this, have you ever seen God? He said, have a look at me. He said, you can see me. Have you ever seen God? And uh, my friend had to say to him, no, uh, it's true. I, I haven't seen God. He said, well, now you feel my hand, he said, friend. He said, feel my hand, get a good hold of it. Have you ever felt God like that? And my friend said, no, I haven't felt God. Um, no, I haven't. He said, well, you haven't seen God. You haven't felt God. He said, maybe you've heard God. He said, have you ever heard God? Ever actually heard his voice like you hear my voice now? And my friend said, no. Well, said the cynic, I'm very sorry for you, but the evidence is against you. Ah, said my friend, would it be all right if I were to ask you three questions? Well, the man said, go ahead. He said, now he said, I want you to answer the questions exactly as I've answered you. Is that fair? He said, all right. He said, tell me. Have you ever seen your brain? He said, have a good look at me, friend. See my eyes. Have you ever seen your brain? Oh, he said, don't be crazy. He said, I'm not being crazy. I'm being logical. He said, tell me, have you ever seen your brain like you can see me? No, said the man. He said, well, take a good feel of my hand. Feel it hard. Have you ever felt your brain? Come on, he said, be honest. Have you ever felt your brain? He said, no, of course I haven't felt my brain. He said, well, then maybe if you haven't seen it, if you haven't felt it, you've heard your brain. Have you ever heard your brain? <laughs> ever heard your brain talking to you? He said, of course not. Well, he said, I'm very, very sorry for you because the evidence is against you. <laughs> now, look, I just want to tell you folks something. You just listen to me very carefully because that's not only funny, but it tells the tremendous truth. There are a lot of things you can't see with your eyes. And there are a lot of things you can't feel with your hands. And there are a lot of things you can't hear with your ears. But nevertheless, they are there, you see. And what I like about this is that I'm dealing tonight not with feelings. And I'm not dealing with a blind sort of emotional religious faith. I am dealing with the facts of history that skeptics cannot contradict because it has happened and, and those things are true. This is the famous high place of Petra. The ancients climbed up here so they could be close to their gods. And what cruel, bloodthirsty, vicious gods they were. 
You see, they thought their gods were mad with them. They thought their gods were, were angry with them. And so this place became drenched with the blood of thousands and thousands of victims. The place became awash with blood. But listen to me. Are you listening? The Bible teaches that God is not mad with us. The Bible teaches that God is full of love and that God is a gracious, wonderful, warm, heavenly Father. And I want to bring to you today a message from my heart to your heart from the high place of old Petra. And here is the message. God loves you. We're going to go up now very quickly to, to Ebler. We're going to drive up the road to Ebler. Uh, this is, these are some scenes on the way to Ebler. There you can see on the map on the left-hand side where Ebler is. It's up north of the wonderful city of Damascus, north of Byblos, and so forth. Now this, uh, on the right-hand side, this is going through one of the cities. It's mainly all desert country through there. I've been through there on several occasions. The, the site is right next to a little village, a little beehive village by the name of Tel Mardik. It was discovered, at least Ebola was discovered in 1964 by my friend Professor Paulo Maffei. We sat down with the kerosene lanterns blazing away and he told us the wonderful story. They went there in 1964 and they started to excavate and there was nothing to find. And then a few years later they found a little tablet in one of these burial sites here. And the tablets had been burned by a tremendous fire. Nobody, nobody had believed that there was even a city up there. They didn't think there was anything there. But the discoveries at Ebla are so sensational that the famous Dr. Siegfried Horn said that the whole writing of the, the whole history as is written in the, in the textbooks today may have to be rewritten because of the, the discoveries here at Ebla. So it's quite exciting. Uh, Professor Mathai discovered a city of, of 260,000 people. And they thought that there, there had been nobody there. And this city goes back, back to the days of the pyramid builders, back to 2500 BC. They had 11,700 civil servants. That's probably why the city no longer exists. It probably went bankrupt. But it was a tremendous city. It was a city where the people worshipped all sorts of gods. And one of the main gods who was worshipped in the city of Ebla was a god by the name of Yah. Now what is interesting is this, that another famous Italian archaeologist by the name of uh, uh, Giovanni, Giovanni Pedinato, was asked by Professor Mathei to come over here and look at this strange writing. And when he looked at the, at the tablets from Ebla, they discovered about 25,000 tablets in one single heap, in one single big bunch of tablets. When they started to look at those tablets, it was writing that they had never seen before. They'd never seen it before. And as he worked on this writing, and as he tried to decipher this writing, he made a remarkable discovery. And I'm going to tell you what the discovery was. He discovered that this writing was the ancestor, if you could say. It was the forerunner, that's more correct. It was the forerunner of the writing of the Bible. This was very, very similar to the Hebrew writing. This was not like just ordinary cuneiform. This was a writing which was akin to the writing of the Old Testament. 
and uh, as they worked there and he got he got tremendously excited i can remember he was wearing a white sports coat and and uh, all of his archaeologists were sitting around and they were telling us the story and they got so excited and they said it was a huge city and uh, they, they read their stories about Jerusalem and Megiddo and Gaza and they read about people who had Bible sounding names like David and, and Michael and, and he got very excited. But one of the most exciting things is this, that the great professor Giovanni Padonato maintains that when he was reading, don't go any further gentlemen, I just haven't finished this bit yet. When he was, when he was reading the writing of, the, of this strange writing, the Ebelite script, Professor Giovanni Pedonato maintains that he read the words Sodom and Gomorrah. Now you say, so what? Well, I'll tell you what, so what? The only book that mentions the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and those other cities of the plain is this book here, the Bible. And then all of a sudden in extra biblical literature they stumble upon these words Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I think it is on Friday night. I'm going to take you to what I believe must be the remains of Sodom and Gomorrah. Never shown before, I believe, in this part of the world. I have gone to the southeastern side of the Dead Sea and I have explored the ruins of cities under six feet of ash. I have personally got down on my knees and dug, not in the sand, but dug in the ash and pulled out little bits of human bone. And this goes back to the days of, of Abraham and Lot. And I have seen the work. I've seen the results of a tremendous fire there. We're going to talk about that on Friday night. The evidence is rolling in. The evidence is rolling in. The evidence is becoming uh, stronger and stronger and stronger as the spade of the archaeologist is digging up the past. When Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago as the King of the Jews, the people became tremendously excited and they shouted, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everybody was excited except the religious leaders. They weren't glad, they were mad. And they said, Master, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, if these people keep their peace, if they remain silent, even the very stones are going to cry out. As I have been wandering around old Petra, the city of the Edomites and the Nabataeans, as I have been examining the, the palaces and the temples and the tombs, as I have been looking at the rocks, one great thought has been pounding in this mind of mine. Do you know what it is? One great truth, it is this. The stones are crying out. The stones have got a message. Would you like to know what the message is? The message is this. The Bible is true. The Bible is true. The Bible is true. The Bible is true historically. What the Bible said about these places was absolutely correct and something more. Something more. The prophecies written thousands of years ago about Petra, the home of the Edomites, those prophecies have come to pass. The Bible is absolutely true. The stones are crying out and I have seen the evidence with my own eyes. Now, I'd like to give you something.
I'd like you to have some of this marvelous material. I would like to share with you the story of the rocks of Petra. Call me right now on the telephone number now appearing on your screen. Call me right now. This is John Carter reporting from Petra, the home of the Edomites and the Nabateans with the message, the Word of God is true. This city was lost to the world for about a thousand years. You've all heard of, of Esau, haven't you? Well, the descendants of Esau went down here. And uh, this is where they, they went and they founded a city here. The Bible says, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, I'm going to bring you down. They dwelt, they dwelt right up in the top of this mountain. And the only way into this place is through this, this narrow defile in the rock. And this is my television crew on the left-hand side because we did some movie stuff through here. And uh, we're going to take you through the seek into the rock. It was lost until a young Swiss explorer by the name of Johann Burckhardt went there, I think in the year 1812. And he disguised himself as an Arab, and he said he wanted to go and do some sacrifices to Aaron. Because Aaron, they say, is buried up there in one of the mountains. And uh, no European had seen this place. It had been lost, I guess, for the best part of a thousand years. And uh, some of the Arabs took him to this spot and they said, we're not going to go through there, but you go through there. And so he went through this, this narrow winding path that's about a kilometer or a mile long. And in some places, it's, only, it's less than the, 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 the width of the stage here. It's only a few yards across. And on either side, you have these towering cliffs that go up. And as he went along through there, he was just wondering, where on earth is this going to take me to? Where am I going? Am I on a, a wild goose chase? And then finally, as he came to the end, I've gone through there, I guess, about 20 times. I always get a thrill because you're in semi-darkness. And all of a sudden, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And then he saw the light, and he saw the light shining on a red building. And as he burst out into the valley, there he saw the remains of Rose Red Petra, the city of sacrifice. The Port Burgon said, Matthew, this wonder, save in eastern clime, a rose-red city, half as old as time. It was the city of the cursed Edomites. And uh, they, of course, came from uh, Esau, the twin brother of Jacob. And they came down to this place, and it is called Mount Seir. The reason it is called Mount Seir was, now this is a funny story, a seer means hairy. This is not a hairy story, but seer means hairy. And uh, the Bible makes it plain that, that this man, uh, Esau, had a skin condition. He was, he was very red, but also he was covered with, with lots and lots and lots of red hair. And when he came down to this place, they called the mountain Mount Seir, which means uh, hairy, because this was reminiscent of his sink, uh, skin condition. Now the city was inhabited right up high in the tops of the mountains. And then, as the years rolled by, Another wild Bedouin tribe by the name of the Nabateans moved into the valley and they carved out some of these wonderful buildings like this one on the right-hand screen, which is called Al-Kazna, which means the treasury. It's a wonderful, wonderful place because of, of the colors of the rocks. On the right-hand side, where you've got that dear old camel, uh, you have the remains 
of a great arena that seats several thousand people that was built in the days of the Romans because after the Nabataeans came the Romans. This is the Sikh on the right-hand side. There it is. And uh, you can ride in there today on the back of a horse or, or a mule or a donkey or, or better still, it's, it's better just to walk around and to take in the sights and to get the atmosphere and to feel the wonders of the past. On the right-hand screen, the Great Valley floor. There's nothing there today. And the reason I went there was because I wanted to check out the story of the high places. Now, you have thousands and thousands and thousands of buildings. But uh, this was a place that was famous for the high place. There is the arena on the left-hand side. Now, let me, come on, men, we'll just move these along. And uh, I want to take the people into the most interesting spot. Now, on the left-hand side, my television crew, we're going up to the top of this mountain. Just hold it there. This great lump of rock is what the Arabs call Omel Biara, which means the mother of cisterns. That's about a thousand feet from the desert floor, straight up perpendicular sides. It's very hard to climb up there. And we climbed up the top there. And on the very top of this place, there are these very large water cisterns. And this is where the Edomites made their home. They stayed up there. They had an impregnable fortress. And apparently, nobody could touch them up there on that fortress. On the left-hand screen is the picture of the best preserved high place in the world. When people read the Bible, they read about the high places and how the children of Israel used to sacrifice to their gods on the high places. And many people have come to me and they've said, what does it mean when it talks about uh, not going to the high places? And, and what were these high places? And, and what went on up there in those high places? They would climb up there early in the morning. And as the sun would come up in some of these civilizations, they would bring to the God a young virgin. And they would hold her down. Uh, sometimes she would be a willing sacrifice, but they would hold her down. And while she was still alive, they would cut the heart out of her chest. And the heart would be held up as an offering to the sun god so, so that the god would bless them. He would bless them with more children and he would bless them with fertility and he would bless their fields. Now I'm going to give you one prophecy. I'm going to turn over here to the book of Jeremiah, one of the Old Testament prophets. It says that Edom or Petra would become uninhabited, would become barren, would be wiped out, and no person would ever go through that place again. That's what it says. It says it right here in the book that people would never go through the place. It says the place would be barren. It says the words, I will stretch out over it the line of emptiness and the stones of confusion. It says no person will go through there. It's going to be lost and folks, because of the awful cruelty of those people, somehow that prophecy that you could almost say it was a curse upon them because of their cruelty, that city just faded away and it was lost in the mists of time. The prophet, the words of the prophet came to pass and I know it is true. I believe it is true. I am convinced it is true because... I've seen it. Strange as it seems, dead men do tell tales. The dead men from the past tell us an amazing tale. They tell us that you can believe in God, that you can believe in the Bible. And you say to me, what difference does it make? Why, friend, it makes all the difference in the world. You see, if you have faith in God, 
And if you have faith in the Bible, then you'll have meaningfulness in your life. You'll have peace, joy, happiness, and contentment.